Back in the 70s, board games and improv theater had a baby, and it was called the role-playing game. These games allowed a generation of kids to live out their dreams of slaying dragons and saving kingdoms, all while sitting in their bedrooms and basements. Today, gaming has moved into the cultural mainstream, and role-playing games are back with a vengeance. Join us now as five of these former kids come out of the basement and onto the internet to experience adventure, mystery, and obscure pop culture references. It's time for Roll for Combat. Hey there, welcome to Roll for Combat. I'm your host, Stephen Glicker, and this is the PaizoCon 2018 question and answer session in which we answered questions. In addition, we had Order of the Amber Die join us, and the questions were asked by none other than Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, from the No Direction podcast. So we had no idea what Param was going to ask us ahead of time. This was kind of done off the cuff. And this was done before we ran the Starfinder-Pathfinder crossover, which I already posted a few weeks ago. I sort of separated it out. This is the question and answer section, and where both of us are asked questions by Param. And you can find out things like, oh, why we don't have a healer on our show. And you can find out the time that the Order of the Amber Die was playing so hard that they actually all had to go to the hospital. But with that, let's get right into the interview. So anyhow, uh, welcome to the Roll for Combat slash No Direction slash Order the Amber Die crazy mix-up mashup. We're going to be talking, we're going to be playing in the first ever Starfinder Pathfinder mix-up. And we have Param, Jefferson J. Thacker, <laughs> better known as Param, who's going to be moderating uh, the panel. And he'll be talking to us a bit and... Talk to Amber Die a bit, and then if you guys want to ask questions, and then we're going to play something insane. So I will... <laughs> Quite it, insane. Yes, Quite I'll insane. leave it off to parents. Right. Uh, well, well, first, there's a lot of voice people in the room, so uh, let's go at the end here, introduce yourself and like what you're involved with and your organization. I'm Eric Lim, I'm player captain of the Amber Die. Uh, we're from Jersey, and uh, if you've seen us on the Pizza blog, we play the uh, Adventure Pass. Um, but the marathons, four-day, five-day marathons, all in a row. Finish out module each time. I'm Eric Germer, combat tactician of the Order of the Amber Die. Except most of the rest. <laughs> Adam Smith, I'm the GM who will GM for four days without rest. <laughs> uh, I'm Savannah Broadway. Uh, I'm the West Coast representative uh, and group sommelier. <laughs> I'm Stephen Glicker. I am the one who started Roll for Combat. I'm the GM. And that's about it. <laughs> Oh, I'm uh, Jason McDonald. Uh, on Roll for Combat, I play Tuttle Blacktail, the Yosoki mechanic, and his drone chatter. And I can only go about three or four hours without rest. So, <laughs> uh, my name is John Stats. Um, I play uh, Mo Dupinski, and I play whenever my friends are available. <laughs> I'm Bob Marquis. I play Rusty Carter on Roll for Combat. I've been playing an online game with friends for years, and one day I found out they were recording me against my will. My lawyers <laughs> are currently working on this. 
And there's uh, one more person missing, and that's Chris Beamer, and he plays Hiroji, but he had to go back early to New York for work. So. Oh. Yeah. Once once again, doing something completely different from the rest of the party. Yes, yeah. he, he always has to be difficult. Honoring the proud traditions of Hiroji. He is difficult in every way possible, including real life. <laughs> uh, no, to shoot something over the ordinary amber dice, you have a combat tactician and player captain. Explain those roles real quick. Well, the player captain is uh, usually in charge of you know organizing the players for sessions. The GM is obviously extremely busy doing what he does. So I'm going to talk to all the players and uh, about strategy and about you know how we're going to get together, the food menu that we're going to have over the four days, and I help people you know with their stat blocks and make sure everything is like is right and you know, everything's legal and ready to go. I'm basically GM's assistant with stuff that's not related to the module. And when you uh, play with all the rules uh, and you have a DM who rolls pretty well, the combat can be pretty deadly. Uh, so I am there to. Uh, Take a look at the battlefield, see how it should play out, uh, and then uh, as the frontline fighter, uh, it's my job to get in there, make sure that I'm in the best position to keep my backline safe, and then I usually uh, tell everyone roughly like uh, how this should play out, how we need to go about it, and then we handle it that way, so we can have a high chance of success. Steve, uh, also. One of the things we talked about, they're taking their name very seriously. I mean, we've got the jerseys and the marathon, and it sounds like they are missing everything but medical assistance on standby. <laughs> which yeah. which I hear they need since they ended up in the hospital <laughs> once. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Let's play. Pause on this. Yeah. Hospital? Um, yeah, we take the game very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was the middle of winter. A lot of people showed up somewhat sick. And then as you play for a few days, and it's like, you know, guys, I should probably go over to, like, you know, urgent care or something like that. It, long story short, uh, it was a technical thing. But, yeah, yeah, there was, a, there was one of us MIA for a night <laughs> at one point that we'd love to retell at. At home, usually. Uh, but, 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 no, it was, uh, it's just one of those things where we are on a schedule. We have to complete a certain amount of material by a certain time and then give the reports back to Paizo. And so um, we only come together four days. That's it. And everybody lives in a different part of the country. They fly in. They drive in. They're committing a lot of time and energy. And, you know, they're willing to block out this much of their schedule. And so we do put pretty much game first for four days, nothing else. And, you know, it just ended up that way. It was, But it's, it's a little funnier than that. <laughs> to say, to say, oh well, yeah, violate HIPAA. So, yeah. yeah, it's funny uh, playing playing so much that you end up in the hospital. It's like those stories you hear from like South Korea people dying at like uh, game bangs. Well, it'll get inflated by the time we're done. Yeah. We're in the same house for four days, making the round table. Stuff that's contagious goes around. <laughs> that's what if yeah, you're in the, exactly. If you're in the hospital, you get no experience or loot. Oh, <laughs> we actually were going to bring the game there. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't consider policy that like, Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what were you going to say? So I was going to say, uh, Steve, you were telling me you also take the game very seriously. You're a very rule stickler mm -hmm. when it comes to how the game plays out. Yeah, I mean, that's really just the way we've always played that way. And, you know, in the in the old days... You know, also the rules have gotten better. Like when we started off, we started off in the 70s, a lot of us, and we started with, uh, you know, 
um, first edition, and the rules really weren't that strict. And then second edition, third, and they've gotten better and better and stricter and stricter. And now we have online ways to look things up so someone doesn't have to dig through a book for half an hour. You know, we could just Google it and it comes up in seconds. Or we have, you know, apps or Hero Lab. So there really is no excuse not to play by the rules. And quite frankly, when you're playing these games and it's life and death on the, you know, I know life and death, but, you know, character life and death on the line, it, you want to make sure your character died by the rules, not because the GM had a bad fight with his wife that night and decided to take it out in your characters. And we've had issues. There was a couple of years ago, I mean, Chris isn't here to defend himself, but we had... Um, <laughs> well, we'll tell the story anyway. We're going to tell the story anyhow. I mean... Well, that's why you're telling the story. Yeah. I mean... Skype him. Yeah, well, he's on a plane right now. <laughs> so, um, call the FAA. Yeah. Get the pilot to put him on. We, or we, I really played something probably too hard. And we played it by the rules, but I played it almost too much by the rules. And he was so angry by the end because he felt like we were kind of abusing the rules. He quit. He actually quit the game for a while. And we talked about it afterwards and worked it all out. And then we have an agreement like, look, if we're all playing by the same rule set, we're playing a game that has consequences and organized storytelling. Otherwise, if we're not playing by the rules, then we have storytelling, which is fine, but that's not what we're doing. We're playing a game, and a game has rules and structures to it. Even last night when I was thinking about it, when we were at the, uh, at the banquet, I thought it was silly in a weird way. It's like, look, you could turn it to a dinosaur. And everyone's like, oh my God, you can turn it to a dinosaur. I'm like, you can't turn it to a dinosaur. It's words that say dinosaur form. Like nothing is happening. We're just talking. But yet people will follow those rules and now, oh, I can turn it to a dinosaur because Paizo officially wrote it on a piece of paper that is now in a book. That is now part of a rule set. And that, if you don't have that structure and organization, then it's just talking. And that's why we play by the rules. And it's not so much that it's stricter; it's just uh, the definition. The definition is more clear. Yeah. You know, we we're, we're more we're actually closer together on a common ground with whatever concept we're wrestling over. So it's you know it's not rules for the sake of rules, but just you know being closer on the same page with what what's going on in our brains. Yeah. And also, quite frankly, we started doing Starfinder Society play. And then you have to play by the rules. In fact, that's the whole thing about society. And I've had issues not even with my game. I mean, some of our moderators are here, and they know this. It's like people are asked to do things. And it's and we talk about this, and they say, no, it's not in the rules. You are not the bad guy. People get angry. And I'm like, look, we're not the bad guy. Paizo's the bad guy. Yeah, Paizo. I mean, we, have no, we, we aren't set in charge of these rules. Like, it's actually, you know, without, without rules, organized play wouldn't exist. And without rules... We could just be sitting around telling stories and making up stories rather than spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on products. So that's what they're there for. <laughs> and I think it's important to add that, you know, there is no one right way to play the game. This is just yeah. how these two groups choose to play it. That's and true. That, and that, you know, we, uh, we get enjoyment out of employing the full rule set or we have, you know, I've always done it that way. I think that's what kind of the two of us have. I think I think an individual table has to be fair and consistent, though. I think you have to stay in consistent to what you, as a table, have decided, though. That's the piece that, I mean, you're, whatever you and the group say, this is how we want to play, then you stick to that. You don't go off into the weeds and changing things halfway through because you want, you know, when you go into a fight, you want to know what the consequences are and what the chances of success are and as long as everyone's on the same page as what those are, then that's how you have a, a game that people want to keep participating in. 
Now, one of the things that is interesting about these two groups specifically together is you both faced the same problem of wanting to play together. You're, both of your groups are scattered to the, to the five wins, seven wins. I forget how the analogy goes because I'm terrible at it. That seems 36 wins. That seems criminally low amount. Uh, but you have found a ways to come together. First, which one of these two do you think is more intense? And have you ever thought about switching places on how you organize? Wow. Well, they're more intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They win. They're more intense. You win. Yeah, that's easy. We're, we're sitting in uh, our PJs, drinking, you know, drinking uh, beverages. You're eating potato chips yeah. into the mic. Thanks. I usually, I usually have one or two dogs on my legs while I'm playing. I know so. exactly. And uh, and we like are like, oh, when do you want to play next week? Oh, I have something on Tuesday. How about Wednesday? Oh, okay, Wednesday. That's how we play. Um, they have to schedule a year of their lives. Uh, and make sure you can commit your vacation schedules over playing games. So are we ever going to do what they do? Um, the answer is no. We will, <laughs> we will probably never do that. This was the first time, although Chris isn't here, that we were together in 15 years. Um, we used to all live, except for Jason, in Manhattan. But Jason used to come to New York a lot, and so we would play. Um, most of us together and Jason would pop in and play like NPCs and help us out. And we played all the time. But then over, as we get older, we've been scattered to the five, four wins. And we're all over the We're scattered all over the globe. And, you know, I picked up a VTT and online about a D20 Pro about 10 years ago because I was upset. Like, you know, I have to go into the city to play. Um, it was hard for me. It was hard for... Chris, it was easy for Bob because he lived in Manhattan at the time, and Seth, who was our DM at the time, and you know that was easy. But then I'm like, let me try this thing, and I, I I'm computer savvy, so we figured it out. It worked out real well, and it's only grown from there. And you know, for us, this is how we almost prefer to play at this time. It's kind of weird. Um, I actually wish I could play the way you guys did, <laughs> and I want to try to at least be an NPC in one of your games just to see it, you know, for fun. But we probably could never do it. <laughs> for, for the record, while I was in Manhattan being cool in Central, I was still in my pajamas and still in potato chips. That's true. Mike, I just want to make that true. clear. But why do you guys do that? As far as why do we do what we do? Yeah. Why are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> well, come off as I, same people. Uh, well, I think the common thread, I mean, the common thread in the order is that we have a huge passion for the game. Everybody in the order, this is what they, they live for. I mean, they've always, you know, going back, we're, we're 31 years together. So, I mean, um, we always have kept an active membership of about 10 to 15 players. And then uh, people can, people over the years will deactivate and then, kind of reactive if they move away or, or maybe like, you know, they deploy or whatever happens, you know, children, marriage, a lot of things change uh, and we'll kind of, you know, adjust our membership. But we've just been together. Some of us are the original founders, you know, all the way back to 87. So, I mean, uh, there's always been this passion for it. And then I think just a combination of that and then our willingness to play long hours and that is really conducive to getting the group together. People are willing to drive or fly a much further distance to play for four days. and it's actually almost like a whole year of play in that one weekend, and so that's how we get the group together for a long time. We were spread out. And I'm sure he doesn't want to toot his own horn, but part of the reason <laughs> why people are willing to come together is because the game that he provides is that good. I mean, 
I can't speak for how good the, the uh, actual play experience because I've never had the honor of being while you're GM. But uh, just from the props and the presentation and the panache and just the dedication you've shown through your Patreon and through your Facebook and through your website and uh, the Paisa blog post, it is clear that you guys don't take a second class experience at all. Basically, correct. We try hard not to. It's a lot of work, but yeah. I, I think one of my favorite examples was when we were in uh, an alchemy lab, and so we had the adventure sense for the alchemy lab and had them all spread out and a very intense olfactory uh, situation. But whenever you got a critical hit landed on you by the alchemical golem, you had to huff the uh, <laughs> the alchemical lab pack. This is how this is how somebody ended up in the hospital. Is no well, no, I also. <laughs> no, and also uh, the story when you guys were in um, uh, the Emerald Spire and you're on the lava level, and what did you do? Oh, <laughs> so each level had a theme. I mean, you had the water level. So the lava level, it was July, late July, New Jersey summer. We turned the air off. <laughs> you know, we, we, it, it got hot. <laughs> this was the way it was that was the hardest level because I don't mind playing it. It's really cool. We did actually yeah. polymer snow once. Yeah, yeah, I was we say. yeah. so we stood in snow two days three up, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we created six inches of snow for the for part four of Giant Slayer and stood in it for four days in and out. And cranked the air down. Yeah, yeah, like, like, uh, we were there. And, uh, but but that one the, much harder when it's hot. And so we just we felt the heat, yeah. we turned on red lights and played with just a red everything was just it felt like you were in lava for you know we were, did any of the miniatures melt to the bat maps? <laughs> no, we, but, were, uh, we, we were glad we had the flip maps because he usually draws the maps. Uh-huh. And uh, with this, I mean, I probably would have ruined his maps from leaning over the table because I was just drenched. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, okay, I can't see my character. <laughs> so bad. I'm just waiting for it when you guys actually have your characters get hit. That you start like hitting them with like green sticks, or like, oh, you yeah. take damage. Here we go. Uh, we, we like immersion, but that's a little, yeah, okay. yeah, a little too it's, much. Uh, yeah. A little too much. In fact, we have a guy right now wearing a fish mask at the table. Okay. He's playing the Lokata the Ranger, the Ranger from Aslan. That was the rule. If you're playing that live NPC, you know, then you gotta wear the fish mask. So, uh, <laughs> so, so. like that all the time. The rule thing was really hard to come across. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm no. not wearing a fish mask. <laughs> <laughs> I see that look in your eyes. No, that's not happening. No, it's gonna be it's gonna be a mouse mask. Of course, I'm, ah, there you go. Go. I'm 300 miles away. Uh-huh. I can just tell you I'm wearing a mouse mask. I'm gonna call up your kids. <laughs> Photoshop uh, uh, face rig. We can make this happen. Yeah. <laughs> Put tape over the camera if I have to. No. Now, on this side of things, it, it's uh, it's a different amount of coordination. So what goes into getting the live play set up? I know it's not trivial. It's definitely more uh, involved than your average go-to game. And I'm biased in saying this. For me or for him? Oh, for you. Oh, so, to set this up? Side. Um, we have organization. <laughs> oh, no, we have technical. Yeah. We have technical issues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, we have technical issues. But... I mean, I do this for a living. You know, I, I'm, uh, I, I, I build websites, um, and I'm pretty technical. Uh, so from the technical side, uh, it, took about two, it took about a month. It took about a month for me to figure out a real good way to do this, of a combination of we, roll, we play on D20 Pro. 
I've tried them all. I've done Fantasy Grounds. I've done D20 Pro. I've done Roll20. They all have pluses and minuses. I like D20 Pro the most. I'm also very good friends with the developer, and I've been working very closely with him to get Starfinder into the rules. And we actually even help him. Actually, Jason and I just last week helped him debug uh, some issues with the with the code. So he's been really, really helpful. Yeah, way to tell everybody about my shitty computer. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Jason's fault. So, and then to record, we use, there's a lot out there. I mean, we actually use Discord. The secret is Discord, Skype, pretty much all of them are more or less the same quality. And they um, they all record the same uh, bit bit rate, and they're all about the same quality. Uh, Discord has a way that you can actually uh, sync and record separate tracks, and that's the secret. You got to have everyone in a separate track so you can balance it and also uh, take out all the if uhs and things like that, and take out background noise. Um, there is another one that I also recommend, which is Mumble, uh, which I recommend you, Mim Mumble. Is a little bit easier to use. The way I do it is actually fairly complex, and I don't recommend it for most people. So, because I'm nuts, but I, that's how I do it. And then actually, to do sound effects, this computer, this computer actually is also playing, and it does nothing but play sound effects. So I basically have like two or three slave computers that do sound effects and uh, take care of other things in the background. And then I have my computer, and I have a desk about this big, by the way. So I have all these computers, and then we record it, and then I have a backup, of course, because twice already it has failed, and thank God I had the backup. Otherwise, I would have had two hours of nothing. Um, and then I go into post and sort of put it all together. So there's really no... All the work's on you. Yes, well, I do all the work. Uh, actually, the follow-up is, yes, the answer is, in fact, Steve set up all of the technical details. Uh, I'm not saying this actually to compliment him, but he made it extremely easy for players to... We All we need to do is sit at our computer with an okay microphone. How many mi we can play. How many microphones have you bought for this? <laughs> well, I bought a lot. Um, but I found that the really good mics, like the Yeti mics, are too good. And they're actually too good for our environment. It's like, you know, like, we can't, I, we all have, a lot of us have dogs, a lot of us have kids. Um, I'm in an office and we're playing in the middle of the night. So those microphones will pick up every single sound. So we actually have a mic that is directional USB, but high quality. And we actually all use the same mod mic. It's a mod mic. It's very high quality and it's cheap. It's only like 60 bucks. And it has the perfect combination of being very high quality, yet not too expensive, and will work on any computer. And the mic comes off, so you can take it and move it to any computer you want. So. I would add, there's one challenge from the player side, which is the when you're not when you're at a you're not at a table, you don't have those like cues that someone else is going to talk. So kind of develop in that sense of particularly well, combat has a flow and you know whoever's got the whoever's got the conch shells in the one talking but in non-combat in particular there's a little tendency to over talk and Steve can take some of that out with the tools but you got you got to you got to have that extra second where you kind of will try to not step over each other and you know how to back off you know you you kind of develop yeah, a sense of when to back off and let someone else talk cuz that that was a that was tricky in the first couple episodes because I, I really became aware of that in the first couple episodes. Like, oh, geez, I'm talking over people all the time. I need to shut up. <laughs> like, Wait, there are times I'm supposed to shut up? Yes. <laughs> Stop talking. When did that happen? Always. <laughs> Something both of your groups have in common is that now you're gaming in the public spotlight. You're both featured on, on social media, uh, occasional more than occasional, sometimes has attention. You're at 
giving a convention here, a panel here live. Has that changed how you game, and you think that's affected the actual games themselves? I let order. You guys go first. Um, yeah, I would say absolutely. You know, it's in the sense of um, even actually just to reference the combat tactician role, or you know, things like where a player is responsible for helping the team be on point with their combat because the whole community is watching. So if you die, you're going to go on the Paizo block. Everybody's going to see it. And the first couple times that happened, it was like, you realize, oh, man, okay. And then it starts the pressure. It just is, becomes, um, it's just, it's kind of a different feel. Even from the moment you start a session and you realize, okay, everything that's happening here is going to be going out. So people play differently and they think about combat differently and make different choices. And um, I just think there's a lot more thought they put into um, what they're going to build with their character. Because they know, imagine if you're building a character and everybody was going to see it. And it was going to go on a thread, or it was going to go to the developers, or it was going to go, um, you know, on Facebook, and people were going to be able to analyze it and comment and talk about what you were going to play and why you made the speed choice and um, you know things like that. I think that uh, it's definitely changed the level of pressure at the table, and uh, it's kind of I don't know about the actual play choices. I mean, some of the decisions I mean, they ever you guys still play pretty out there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, the pressure definitely has an element of um, like. A hesitation sometimes because you, you have two decisions to make. One of them could lead to a TPK in front of the entire community. So you have to be really careful about the decisions you make. You have to think everything twice. But you also don't want to take too much time because we have a limited time to play the game. So where do you find that balance? Either rush the game and make mistakes because you're rushing or take too much time thinking about it and have to rush at the end and skip things, lose experience, lose treasure just so we can finish the module on time. So it's a fine line to, to be able to waver across. I mean, I know the answer, but actually, I want to hear these guys' answers because they're the players. I, I know, I know what what I do for different, but I'm like curious what they do. Well, I mean, first I swear less, or I try <laughs> not swear at all. I mean, you know, yes. you never know who's going to be listening. And there's a little bit more of a need to be on and to you know have some energy because I mean. We, when we're just playing for ourselves, if you kind of drift off a little and you start checking email for work for a few seconds between rounds and miss your turn, uh, you, you can get away with that. That's happened. Actually, I've fallen asleep during a session. He once fell asleep. Before we were doing session. Roll for Combat, I actually fell asleep during we were the actually game. Then we're like, Jason, we actually heard it, snoring. It was also before, <laughs> it was before Push to Talk, so. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so there's a little bit. You, you are aware of the fact that, you know, the, co- the conversation and the interaction is the engine that makes this go. And, you, you know, you got to make sure you got to push yourself to be involved in it. And I think that that is a little more there than it, when you're a little more aware of it than we were when we were just, you know, screwing around playing for fun. Um, for me, um, probably the swearing. There's a <laughs> lot less swearing. Uh, <laughs> particularly, actually, not so much... Well, swearing a little bit, but just insulting. We we usually insult p- each other a lot more. Um, we're we're pretty, you know. We just shut your mouth. You're a child, and uh, you will speak when you're spoken to. How about that? That's kind of the flow. And you know, when you're not, when you don't know us and how we talk to each other and uh, goof around, it comes off as a little bit, you know, too caustic and. Frankly, it, it would be too long if we kept all that in there. So, uh, but actually, I don't. I don't really change anything else. I, I, I purposely don't listen to the show, so it doesn't change my behavior. 
I'm not performing. I'm just I'm playing as I normally play otherwise. So. Well, and that's the point with me. Honestly, I think I was the last one that Steve talked into actually being part of this because whatever, I want to make a dumb joke to my friends, that's fine. I'm not an actor. I'm not a performer. I'm remarkably self-conscious of the fact that there is a microphone that's actually recording this, which may mean I act like more of a jerk or I don't talk as much or talk more, and I have no idea. I just feel a certain level of self-consciousness because this is not my background in any way. Insulting you all, that was normal. Yeah, yes. well, you're good that's at that. Why are you all going to learn how to play? By the way, and I'm, and, and I, we can say pretty confidently that Chris in real life is Chris on the show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chris, Chris is, is that's a change. That is, Chris. yeah, that's <laughs> he is, he's exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is that if anything, we're better players, and we're we play tighter and looser at the same time. Doesn't make any sense, but I mean, by tighter is that we. We definitely play like more goal oriented, and we don't go off on tangents as much. Oh yeah. Um, and we yeah. definitely try to look up and get the rules right fast. Even though I can cut it out if we have to look something up for five ten minutes, we try to get the rules right quickly, um, so that we can just keep going. And the other thing is that we and Param knows this better than anyone. We do not make optimized characters <laughs> or play optimally <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. That is. Mostly on purpose, and mostly just us being role players for 40 years. Like, we have all gone through our power gaming phase. We've all gone through our we-can-kill-everything-you-imagine-with-a-toothpick phase. And now we are in the old man, let's build interesting characters and have fun experiences and not build a character that can kill you with its pinky. You know, it's much more fun and much more interesting to build not broken characters, but characters with characters with character, you know, characters that have foibles or have issues so that they don't always win in combat right away or that they try to pick a lock at a door for uh, way too long. <laughs> Look, it was a rough door. <laughs> and he's still being made fun of to this day and he will forever. And um, we, and we're getting a t-shirt made and it's going to be of a door, by the way. <laughs> so, um, but that makes more fun though. It's like, we're, we're not going to be no rules, all fun. But if you wanted to listen to a podcast of us just winning, that's boring. Who wants to listen to that? Well, it's also always more interesting just if the characters have genuine motivations of their own outside right. of the players. Uh, Role-playing, particularly Dungeons & Dragons history, is a collaborative art form. There is a world that's created that the DM is running, and then the characters will make their own decisions through it to get different ends and different outcomes. That's fun. Do you find that as GMs, the two GMs here, how does that affect how you're preparing and running the game, knowing that thousands of eyes are on it? Um, yeah, it definitely affects it. Uh, you know, I was already doing a lot. I think that's kind of how this got started for us anyway, um, was that I was already putting a lot into it so that when people start seeing the game for the first time, it was like, hey, all right, do more of that, you know, or hey, you know, can we get this on the blog and show this off? And it's like, yeah, actually, that's, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, so I think it only added to that now. So it's almost become... I mean, we call it OAD life, but it's almost become, you know, it is a lifestyle of constantly prepping and constantly thinking about the game because you know that you're just trying to <coughs> provide the community with something and try to help the game, and this has always been our mission from the beginning, you know, to try to just help the game evolve, that everybody's played a role in getting the game here, whether they be developer, designer, author, player, 
GM, and so you know you're just one person in this uh, you know five decade long story now, and um, you know yeah, it's definitely it's, it's added to it knowing there's a lot of eyes on it, and it just makes you put more time into it. Motivated. I mean, believe it or not, this sounds weird, but not. I didn't really change that much. I mean, I've been using D20 Pro for about 10 years now. I can get an entire Adventure Path module in about three hours into it. Um, the biggest issue now is I just, what I do probably more, and one of the reasons I wanted to do Starfinder versus Pathfinder is that I want to make sure, I always re, for, you know prepare the module way ahead and obviously read it multiple times. I print out all the pages, take notes on how things are going to work out, especially with the monsters. But the day before, the day of the session, I'll actually go through each encounter to make sure I understand the rules so that I don't have to look anything up. I also pre-open on, I have, I have multiple monitors, so I'll open up on the monitors all the special attacks and rules so that I have it at my fingertips so I don't have to look anything up. I was mostly doing that before, but now I really, really prepare as much as possible so we can just keep it going. But that's about it. That's really the only main difference, I'd say. So how did you two groups come together? Uh, well, we, live, we live near each other. Yeah. I well, I wrote, I wrote uh, Water a couple of months ago, maybe like half a year ago or maybe even a year ago. I wanted to see them last year at PaizoCon because I was following you guys. We did um, we did the uh, Emerald Spire, and then I read your uh, PDF, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is great!" You know, at first it, it was impressed that you did the whole thing and the, your notes and like how you wrote it out, and it was really helpful. And even oh, this was a mistake, and and it was really really helpful. And um, I wrote them um, a few times. And they said we should get together, and they—I can never get together with them ever. <laughs> it was like it was like for whatever reason, it never worked out because um, they were—I was always busy when they were together um, because I have kids. So usually when they're together, it's during holidays, and I'm usually like doing something with my kids. So finally, a few months ago, it worked out. Finally, the first time that I can go see them, I went to go see Adam's secret lair that no one knows about and was able to eat, meet Adam and Eric, and we hit it off. I mean, our groups are very similar. It's kind of scary how similar we are. We just found out today we both took three years of Latin. I mean, like, Adam, we, we have a lot of weird things in common, so... Um, and then I felt bad that they didn't make it to PaizoCon, and I said, you guys should come and help them, and you guys can share a session with us. And that kind of just went from there. We feel worse about not making it than you do, trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mother Nature shut us down hard. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I mean, I've been talking to Eric about this. It's like our groups are really scary similar, even though we play differently. Like, we play the same way. We both play Adventure Paths. He and I both only play published adventures. We don't write our own. Um, we both play by the rules. We both have groups that have been playing together for 25 plus years. Um, we both played a lot of material. Too. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. one thing that we, we played a lot of material. Yeah. And, you know, we just had so much in common. It was like kind of, you know, it was just funny. <laughs> so you guys had maybe like, I mean, just from being at conventions and uh, talking to fans and things like that, people in the community. A good number of published adventures would be 50, 75, you know, in a lifetime. And so we were able to connect right away over just the amount of material and, um, you know, we, oh, you, oh, yeah, you played that? Oh, yeah, back, yeah it was, sometimes it was 20 years ago, but yeah, we, we were able to right away connect on that mm -hmm. too. So. so 
This is a thing. Um, what has attracted you, your groups, to playing published material as opposed to uh, uh, writing your own material or a custom homebrew? Um, well, um, for me, I mean, uh, it's almost like you know, reading a novel versus writing your own. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a lot more difficult to come something, but sometimes it's also I means there's some masterpieces out there. I mean, there's some really, really good work. And you know, for us to say, you know, we don't want to do any of those, no matter how good they're, we're going to write our own and try to be as good as them. I mean, it's a different kind of challenge. You know, we, we wanted to see what was out there, and uh, to play the best models, to play the best you know authors out there. I mean, Gygax, I mean, all those guys. I mean, I mean, they were great. So we want to play as much of that stuff as possible. It's better than I can do myself, obviously. So, I mean, I for me, I grew up with modules. I mean, that was a big part of our childhood was growing up with modules and playing them. It was a group experience of playing Tomb of Horrors or White Plume Mountain or Borderland, you know, any of those, like everyone did it. So it was expected <laughs> as a kid in the 80s to play modules. And quite frankly, when Dungeon Magazine came out, those are some of the best adventures I've ever read in my whole life. Why do I need to write anything? I, I mean, seriously, these are people who are getting paid. They're professional dungeon makers who do this for a living. Maybe I can do better than them. I could also, you know, direct my own movie or make my own TV shows. I'm sure they're not going to be better than what's out there. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean. And I think, I think there's also a, yeah. just a... At this age and stage in our yeah. lives, it's a practicality and time management yeah. thing. Do we really want to shut down the campaign for three weeks while you write some more stuff, or do we want to? There, there's all this material out there that's great material. Let's just play it and get. Let's get in there and play. It. We get three hours a week. Let's get to it. Excellent. Yeah, so, well, we have people like Jason Keeley who wrote a great <laughs> adventure. <laughs> what? Oh, oh, oh. He's looking for the other Jason. I know. <laughs> you figure there's 24 hours in a day right, for every GM. Yeah. So they have to decide how they want to spend it. I mean, do you want to put your time into writing an adventure? Do you want to put it into, we've always put it into immersion. So, yeah. you know, do you want to put it into um, working on the encounters? Do you want to put it into developing new dialogue? You know, you have to decide. And there's only so much time to work with. Every GM will, you know, sort of adjust their prep a different way. And that's going to be the final product that they present. So for us, it's always been immersion. I'd rather have a published adventure and then up the level of immersion and spend hours thinking about what backdrop we're going to have, um, how we're going to present the asylum in uh, PF 109 in search of sanity. You know, we had candles everywhere, and the process of going out and figuring out how we're going to get candles across the whole room, and you know, with, with, or even the map for that one. Um, to use an example, it was like a 30-hour map that I drew. So it's 30 hours I could have written my own adventure, 30 hours I could have taken this one that I thought was a really excellent adventure by Wes Schneider, and I could develop this thing and really bring it to, to life for the players and. You know, so I think every GM just decides differently how they want to spend their time. And I would say one last thing is that also I like to do these adventures, especially these adventure paths, because they're shared experiences. Because even on our walk back, we were talking about our shared experience on um, uh, the asylum was it. Strange Aeons, like how they played it and how we played it. How'd you handle that puzzle? Yeah. How did you fight that yeah. creature? Which is yeah. also what you do in society play. It's like, oh, you did this and we did this. And it's like, it's fun to have the shared experiences. It's fun to compare authorship too. You know, Richard so Pat. <laughs> Every author is different. They provide yeah. put so much effort into the development of these paths, and you know the work is already there. It's been done by an incredible team. You don't you know, really need to, if you want, spend all this time trying to develop your own. You can just put your time into bringing this thing to life and see what that's like, and see if it works out.
I actually, uh, I was a dam during the 80s um, growing up. I wrote a lot of my um, adventures for my group because my group uh, would not, if they got a hold of a module, they wanted to read it. (laughs) You know, they were just like, they wanted to know. And not just spoilers or or, like they, they, we were in the middle of... (laughs) Uh, suburbia Ohio you know not near New York LA Chicago or a big center where there was uh, a lot of um, uh, material so I had to write my own stuff and if you're writing your own stuff I have a lot of experience Uh, it's unpolished it's unpolished you don't know where the characters are going to go Uh, if you want to breadcrumb the players through any type of plot those have to be pretty big breadcrumbs and, and there's a lot more to authoring a, a, a module or an adventure than just writing it. You need to play test it and polish it, polish it. And when you're with a group, you got one shot to get it, you know? And it's just, it's it's a lot harder. So, great. Now, for the order of the Amber Die, you guys, with your latest projects, you've not just been playing published adventures, you've been playing the iconic Pathfinder characters. Why did you make that choice and how's that been? Well, it's almost similar to what, what Steven said. I mean, uh, you know, we've, we've done our whole optimized thing where we can like kill people with toothpicks. And uh, we kind of wanted to give ourselves a different challenge and um, almost portray these characters that already existed in the same way we do the modules. You know, it's also a lot of fun to see us ourselves in the artwork. You know, mm-hmm. oh, there's my character getting his head ripped off. That's great. It actually <laughs> happened in the game. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> They're like, oh, I had to match the artwork. Sorry. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but what actually one of the more important things is just because it's all under photo documentation, it's important that everybody knows what's going on when they're looking at it. So when you take a picture, you see, okay, here's your five hammerhead sharks, and here's Valorous, and here's this. Everyone knows who that is if you play Pathfinder you know, re- regularly. So it's very easy to, to understand what's going on tactically, who's here, what they're doing. And then when the captions come in and the story and the blogs come in, it's very easy to, to understand for players. You know, um, we would love to... You know, create our own characters. I mean, look how colorful they are. I would love to do that too, but it's so much harder to be like, okay, so this guy is a Gilman you know, hydrokineticist with bullets. No, no one knows what's going on. But if you have the Aquanaut Valorous, someone's like, oh, I know that is. It's so much easier to convey. And uh, yeah, there's just a lot of reasons. You just got to bring more fish masks. No. <laughs> we one's enough. <laughs> now, for the order of your combat, guys, how did you guys come up with your characters and, and why did you choose to play the team you did and why didn't you get it? <laughs> Cliff's notes were stupid. What uh, <laughs> um, Tuttle mechanic was embracing what was different about sci-fi. We've been playing all this Pathfinder. You don't have tech in, in Pathfinder. I mean, obviously, a few places like Iron Gods, you brush up against it. But I just I thought that playing a mechanic was the way to go with that. I chose Isoki primarily because I thought it would annoy Chris. Uh, um, and um, the characterization is kind of you know it's not one specific person but it's a sort of amalgam of the personality type that I work with in IT of people who are brilliant technical people but have limited people skills so that was kind of where I was driving with Tuttle is that he's you know he's a little bit crusty around the edges he knows his tech but you don't want to rub him the wrong way or he'll you know get all salty with you so you're saying it's not an act cheddar really is his best friend very possibly yes <laughs> maybe not, maybe even only i don't know oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um 
I picked uh, Mo just because um, I was really busy at the time, <laughs> and I wanted a very simple class to play, and a, uh, a soldier was, uh, Steve recommended that the way to go, and I like the idea of a off-character, I like, I imagine Jackie Gleason uh, as, as a Vesk soldier, you know, not the uh, prototypical, and he, he's a dumb guy, but he doesn't talk like a lot of like, hey guys, well, I think we should go to the left because there's a good smell coming from the left. You know, it's, and yeah, I could probably adopt a voice and role play him a lot better. I could maybe listen to Andrew Dice Clay and <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, the, the language, the, you know, the, the slob from, you know, the streets who's, you know, trying to make it in the world and he has really bad luck and he just can't recognize his own bad ideas uh but um especially yeah. with healing potions <laughs> yeah <laughs> Don't, yeah might as well i don't know why they put any other numbers on the eight-sided die just the one or the two we'll get you one we're gonna get you one that's special yeah. made it's just gonna have all ones and twos on yeah them. pretty much yeah. eric has the same problem as you <laughs> yeah Luckily, uh, I roll really well with the 20, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I picked my character, honestly. Part of it was the last two campaigns I'd been in, I'd played genuinely nice people. And, well, that gets boring after a certain point. Uh, but I had had a previous character in another campaign, which was a Pathfinder campaign, where I looked at all the different rogue archetypes, and I never met anybody who actually went with all the bluff con artist builds. And so I had so much fun playing a charisma rogue. Uh, I, he had a low dex. He had all charisma, and I swear to God, he, the entire adventure, I just simply bluffed and lied my way through everything. It was wonderful. I, I didn't exactly do the same thing with Rusty Carter, but I just liked the idea of the con man as not an evil person, but not a nice person either. It's just more interesting. And the reason we don't have a healer is we all wanted to annoy Chris. <laughs> he likes getting healed, and none of us wanted to do it. <laughs> Hey everyone, Steve here. So once again, thank you so much, Param, for that fantastic interview. We've actually done a couple of interviews and also had the order has done several interviews and Param was asking questions that we have really never heard before. And that was fantastic. Once again, if you don't know or listen to the No Direction podcast, I strongly suggest you do. It's one of my favorite podcasts. I was actually recently a guest on episode 179 where I talked all about PaizoCon. In addition, every single talk from PaizoCon, all 50 of them, are being posted if you have not been listening to them already. Again, that's NoDirectionPodcast.com, and it's K-N-O-W instead of N-O. Some, some people have asked me about that. That comes from a spell from Pathfinder. They cover Pathfinder, Starfinder, everything Paizo-related. You can get your fill there. As for the order, that's one of the first times they've ever been recorded, if not the first time. They do everything kind of in private, so that's one of the rare instances you'll actually get to hear them in public. FYI, this actually was supposed to be originally just the role for combat team, but when the Order of the Amber died, they were supposed to come last year and talk, and because of weather, they were not able to, and I felt so bad that when they showed up at PaizoCon, I had them share our talk, so they can actually do what they didn't get a chance to do last year. Go through an interview and kind of explain how they play and why they play that way. Also, don't forget, do check out our crossplay where we have Pathfinder, Starfinder, Adventure, 
where the Wolf for Combat guys play Starfinder characters, the Order of the Amber Die play Pathfinder Iconics, and I write a crazy adventure and put them through that. You can find that on our podcast, or if you wait a few more weeks, it will show up on the No Direction podcast. Other than that, do check out the rest of the Roll for Combat podcasts, where we're going through the Dead Sun Adventure Paths, as well as Starfinder Society, and we will be starting some Pathfinder playtest materials in the very near future. But with that, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you later. You've been listening to Roll for Combat, a Starfinder actual play podcast. If you have a question or comment for the show, please visit us at RollForCombat.com or drop us a line at contact at RollForCombat.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Discord, and other social media platforms. listening to Roll for Combat. Until next week, always remember that you can't spell slaughter without laughter.